A legendary brand, a family legacy, a tumultuous love affair that cost a man his life. Hollywood has put its own spin on this story, but the movie subjects have made their anger with their portrayal well known. Is there more to this story than the film would have you believe? This week's episode is The Murder of Maurizio Gucci. Fills with dread, probably a murderer who wants you dead. It could be a ghost, a demon, or worse. Perhaps you're the victim of a witch's curse. It's hopeless, you're doomed. You'd call a priest if you could. You'd rather just listen to who? Sinisterhood. I'm gonna kill you. Do you own any Gucci products? No. <laughs> I I once had a fake Gucci bag. Oh my. I recently got rid of it because it was completely fallen apart, which I assume the real Gucci bags don't do. But I've probably never had not. One. I always got the G from Gucci mixed up with the G from Guess, like Guess jeans. Oh, <laughs> so I wouldn't know. Is it a G one. from Guess? I thought Guess was a some of the. Well, they tried to knock mark. it off. Well, they try to knock it off, and they would do G's up against each other so that it would look like Gucci. No, oh, I never. I remember Guess being a triangle logo. Th- that's their main logo, but that you could buy bags that had G's on them that would oh. look like off brand. They were. They knew what they were doing. Mm. They knew like, what they were doing. Guess which one this is. We're like, we all know which one it is. It's <laughs> well, not. Well, it costs nine ninety five. <laughs> it's not the Gucci one. We did not buy this at Claire's boutique. New, no. new. No. Yeah. I uh I've never owned a Gucci item, so I did see I... where you could just add some tape to flip flops that would look like Gucci, like you add the green and red to the black oh, okay. slider flip flops. So I may do that because that looks real nice. <laughs> uh, well, there's but, yeah. one way to get around spending I don't know nine hundred dollars on a pair of flip flops. Yeah, I uh, you know what, just a couple rolls of tape, and then you can use the tape for other stuff. Yeah, you can Gucci your. Uh, your vision board, your <laughs> scrapbooks. Side of your I car. imagine it's the same type of tape. That's oh, how yeah. I envision it. Like, what's that type of tape called? I would think use for those things. Well, I was thinking like name. electrical tape, like where oh, it's like okay. gummy kind of, and it sticks, and it's weatherproof. So, take them in the pool, take them in the lake, <laughs> take them wherever you want. Take them in the canals <laughs> of Florence, Venice, Be- Venice. Yeah. I don't know if Florence has canals. I've never been to Italy. They all have, so. A lot of places have canals. Some are just bigger than others. I mean, we have. I got a canal down the street from me. It's filled with little... trash and like a and like a drop of water, but it, some people call it a canal. Get a boat. Get yeah. you a stick. Give you, people you, I mean, you wouldn't go anywhere because you're just on top of rocks <laughs> and like 7-Eleven cups. Yeah, but well. you could get a boat down there if you wanted, I think. Anything, anything is canoe. possible. Yeah. <laughs> Anything's possible in East Dallas. If you put your mind to it. <laughs> well, we haven't seen this movie yet, but we have plans to. Yeah, it's supposed to come out January 31, February 1st on streaming services. So that is when I will plant myself to see Adam Driver, who I love so much. Oh, yes. And Lady Gaga, who I also love. I also, I, I love I love both of them. Tommy's a big Adam Driver fan. I love him because of SNL. <laughs> which oh, he's been Tom- on there a handful of times. Tommy, uh, I never watched Girls. Mm. But Tommy watched Girls, and that's where he was introduced to Adam Driver, and and really liked him. But yeah, he's uh, I'll, he's good looking. Yes. And I'm gonna go ahead and say it: 
So was Maurizio Gucci. Oh, yeah. He had that alluring He kind had of a charisma. charm about him. Mm-hmm. Pretty he, eyes. Yeah. He, yeah, he had hair. The, <laughs> the Italian uh, charisma going on for him, for sure. Oh, yeah. Also, the Lady Gaga casting, incredible how oh, yeah. much she resembles Patrizia. Oh, yeah. And she's such a great actress and said she, she is. spent a ton of time getting into the character and studying the role and everything. So I was thinking about that today, how she is one of those stars that can do everything. She can act. Oh. She can sing. I, I don't know. She can probably paint. She can dance. She can dance. Yeah. I mean, like she I she I think she would nail a Broadway role. Oh, given the second. opportunity. Yeah. She's man. She can do it like all. that. Good for you. Oh, yeah. And somebody, another person that kind of came from, you know, more humble beginnings. And also I do like when, I think she said that everybody, they bullied her in school and said she would never amount to anything. Well, look at her now. Yeah. Joke's on you, everyone that went to school with Lady Gaga, because um, I challenged someone that went to school with her to to come out saying they're more successful. Don't <laughs> think that's... Her eyes. <laughs> don't think that's happening. Well, we are talking about the murder of Maurizio Gucci, which is uh, what the film House of Gucci highly focuses on. Um, I think there's been some artistic liberties taken from Mm -hmm. things we've read, but we are here to give you what is more of the, um, I won't say the movie was inaccurate, but we're going to give a little more um, of the finer details that I think the movie leaves out yeah and there's a a couple articles that are like five things that they changed and sometimes you change things Mm -hmm. to quicken up the timeline or um you know make it more dramatic the book that it's based on uh the audiobook is 16 hours and the movie i'm gonna guess is not 16 hours so that can kind of tell you there's got to be a lot of stuff that gets left out so yeah this will not be 16 hours but hopefully we've synthesized all the information that uh it fills in some of the gaps there are more people involved in this story than in a Shakespearean play. There really is a large cast, so buckle up. It's was I almost had to create a spreadsheet to keep yeah. up with with all the people. So there may even be people we don't mention because while they were integral to certain parts of the story, at some point, you know, you got to cut some people out. It's just there's too many. There's too if many you names. Dive deeper. That book, House of Gucci, is. I mean, down to they start at the great great grandparents, and then everybody who had. It's like the Bible where they're like, this person begat this person, and this person mm. begat this person, and I drew a little family tree. <laughs> you're like, there's a lot of there's a lot of players, there's so, a lot of people, but they go into it, and it's uh, it is interesting as far as getting in the nitty gritty of it, just to learn it. But then again, I also listen to audiobooks on two XP. So you tell me. I got in the car to <laughs> go with you. We were going, we home going from the show. Oh yes, from from a very fun show mm-hmm. that we had at DCC this past week. And I you you uh, turned on the car. It started playing. I go. Is this how you're listening? <laughs> I don't understand how how it happens. Mm-hmm. It would I, nothing. It would just wash over me. I don't know, man. That's how my brain sounds inside. So I listen to it and can take notes on it, and it's very efficient. Wow. That's fascinating. Truly <laughs> fascinating. If it was on slow, I don't listen. I think about other stuff. I zone out because it's too slow. I zone out on audiobooks, too. But well, if it was sped up that up, fast, baby. <laughs> I, it's, it messes with my misophonia. Like, I couldn't even uh, 
handle it because it's so like grating to me that mm-hmm. I would just have to tune out. But we've had listeners say like they listen to him that fast too. So you're not yeah, alone. Yeah. Some it's people may listen to us that fast. Or our friend Madison that accidentally yes. uh, didn't realize her car had slowed us way down and that thought that funny. we were very drunk. And <laughs> it is extremely funny. That is a, a video that is posted on our Patreon that I think it might, next to you in the ball pit, I think that video has mo- the most comments of anything we've ever posted. <laughs> Probably. It's very funny. They're both very funny. Well, I'm Christy. I'm Heather. And let's get into it. Born on September 26, 1948, in Florence, Italy, to parents and actors Sandra Ravel and Rodolfo Gucci, Maurizio Gucci became the newest addition to the illustrious and infamous House of Gucci. 27 years earlier, in 1921, Maurizio's grandfather, 40-year-old Guccio Gucci, had opened a leather shop in Florence. Known for their fine wares and innovative use of materials, Gucci quickly made a name for itself. By 1953, they had become well-established as one of the top luxury brands, with their first American store having just opened in New York City. Yeah, they talked about how initially, because it was such a, it started to become like a tourist destination that they were selling suitcases and then people would take the suitcases back home and then it would be like, where did you get that? Mm -hmm. I got it in Italy. And so they wanted it. Then celebrities started doing it, um, started buying them and showing them off. And they talk about how they really started trying to cater to celebrities, especially after opening in New York, but that um, I think it was Princess Grace came in and He said, I have to give you a gift. I have to give you a gift. And she said, oh, no, you don't have to give me anything. How about just a scarf? Well, they didn't make scarves. But he said, oh, you know, it's funny. We have a scarf in production. I will send you one right away when it's finished. And then she leaves the store and he jumps on the phone with the designer and says, make a fucking scarf right now. We have to send it to Grace. And they made this famous, iconic, floral like design on it mm-hmm. that she started wearing, but it was literally just because they knew to cater to that crowd of everybody would want it then. There you go. That's has not changed. <laughs> if man, celebrities can wear anything. Mm-hmm. And then if you're that designer, you just blew up overnight. Done and done. Put Juicy right on the butts. Yep. Oh, God, Juicy. They're coming back. Did celebrities ever wear Juicy? Uh Paris Hilton, and now they're wearing That's it again. That's right. They're bringing Paris it back. Hilton. Oh, it's coming back. Oh, yeah. There's pictures of Kathy and, and Nikki and Paris like in their Juicy outfits together. Yeah. Be- like, ironically, no, it doesn't seem like it. They seem excited to wear them. Are they new or are they their original Gucci? They're new. Gucci. Juicy. Juicy Gucci's. Uh, they're <laughs> new. Okay. Every, I mean, that doesn't back, surprise me because all this stuff comes, everything comes back eventually. Yeah, don't throw it out or that's a bad idea. You should throw it out. It was 90s. So now I guess we're moving into the early aughts. We're so, yeah. in, we're in the, that couture now. Watch out, kids. We <laughs> we veered into some dangerous lanes in the yeah. 2000s. Mm. Oh, well, so the um, striped highlights in the hair <laughs> not far behind, They're which I back. think you had. Did you not? Severe stripes, like block <laughs> color block hair. All right. Well, look for it. I'm calling it now. Now in the I next have six color months, we're going to see that. It's just gray and then also brown. <laughs> I've never seen you have gray. I've, they're, they're coming in. I'm letting them. I'm letting oh. them come in. You know what? I have several friends that just embraced it, and their hair, their gray is gorgeous. It's like highlights right now, so we'll see where it goes from here. I can't. I, I'm going to have to see. Look at that next time. I I'll let you. You can pick you my person. hair like an ape. Gonna, <laughs> like a chimpanzee. I'm just going to pick your <laughs> hair apart. 
Mauricio's mother passed away from cancer when he was just five years old, leaving Rodolfo to raise their son alone. It wasn't until 17 years later that another woman would come into Maurizio's life. In 1970, at the age of 22, Maurizio Gucci met a woman named Patrizia Reggiani at a party. She played it cool, pretending not to notice him. He couldn't help but notice her and the striking dress she wore, asking his friend, Who is that beautiful girl dressed in red who looks like Elizabeth Taylor? Maurizio pursued her relentlessly. Soon... The two 20-somethings fell madly in love. They said she had violet eyes. like Just like Elizabeth Taylor. Liz yeah. Taylor. She does, in pictures, look like Liz Taylor. She kind of has a young Liza Minnelli look to her mm-hmm. as well. She's very striking, very attractive. Mm-hmm. And his dad had been an actor who he had defected from the family business. His stage name was Maurizio. And then when he and the wife had the kid, they named him Maurizio. So he kind of grew up around loving movies and having that Hollywood mm-hmm. feel. So you see somebody that looks like a movie star, you're like, the wolf eyes. Oh, yeah. God. <laughs> Patrizia did not come from a wealthy family. She never knew her father. But eventually her mother, a waitress, married a wealthy entrepreneur who adopted Patrizia. Throughout her childhood, he often treated her to lavish gifts, inciting her appreciation for the finer things in life. I mean, same. <laughs> yeah. I mean. I love fine I, things. I, I like nice things. <laughs> I Do I have any Gucci products? No. Would I like to be gifted some? Of course. I would be Please scared, send though. them my way. Our P.O. box is on the <laughs> website. <laughs> I have one nice pair of juicy sunglasses that I got out of the Lost and Found at Sea Dog in 2010. And I still don't like, first of all, they're kind of out of style right now. But just wait. They're coming but, back, though. Get come six back. months, you're going to be wearing those. But knowing that they were, at the time, I guess, back then, expensive, it makes me nervous to take them out because I don't want to, like, lose them. So I, I never owned have, like, a juicy thing. Except my booty, hey. which I was born with, but I never, I never owned um, any juicy couture. Well, but anything expensive—not that that's even juicy ex- or Gucci expensive—but something like that, it would make me nervous to be like, "Oh, these are Chanel glasses." Because mm-hmm. if I took them out, I would definitely leave them on a countertop in a bathroom yeah. somewhere, and they would and be then gone. you're real bummed you just yes. lost a super expensive pair of sunglasses. Yeah. From the moment he met Patrizia, Rodolfo despised her. He saw her as nothing more than a social climber who wanted to latch herself onto his son to further warm her way into the wealthy, elite social scene of Milan. Rodolfo insisted Maurizio cut all ties with the woman. Maurizio, however, was smitten, telling his father, Papa, I can't leave her. I love her. As the two grew closer and decided to marry, Rodolfo tried intervening more, going as far as asking the Catholic Church not to perform the wedding ceremony. In 1972, the pair married anyways, and Rodolfo disowned his only son. It's wild to me that he would exert such control over Maurizio when his dad tried exerting a ton of control over him and crushed his dreams of an acting career and said, you're going to be a failure. Hollywood is 15 minutes of fame. You should come back. And now you have a son who's like, I'm in love, Daddy. I cannot wait to get married to this beautiful <laughs> woman. And he was like, I'm here to crush your dreams, kid. Yeah, I guess you do unto others of that's of what's been done to you. I don't know. Or you know, you know. I mean, abuse tends to repeat itself in in families. I also think, though, he kind of saw the writing on the wall. <laughs> I mean, he wasn't wrong. Before <laughs> Mauricio did because, uh, yeah, he wasn't wrong. No, she had already social climbed her way up, and we you know was at parties where Mauricio was, but. 
those that knew her said, you know, she also did not grow up wealthy and was actually her mother until she met the entrepreneur was quite poor. And friends said that that kind of affected how she was and she didn't want to ever go back to how she used to live. And so she was determined to do whatever she had to do to stay in that class of people. And if she was going to marry rich, that's what she was going to do. She's like, I've seen what it's like down there. Don't want to <laughs> yeah. go back. Mm-hmm. Soon after they were married, Maurizio's uncle Aldo invited the newlyweds to New York so that he could train his nephew in the ways of the company. He had been hinting for a while that he wanted someone younger to take over the business. Aldo's own sons felt slighted and weren't too excited about their cousins swooping in and becoming their father's protege. Nevertheless, the couple moved to the Big Apple and made their home in a 9,000-square-foot penthouse on Fifth Avenue. Well, that's not a bad place to live. That is so big. It's huge. That is. I've been in a 5,000-square-foot house, and that was overwhelmingly big. That's like, yeah. Our house is little less than 2,000. Yeah, so it's almost five times. That's wild. Yeah. That's too much house. For being not a house, even. It's a penthouse, so yes. it's in a building. So you probably take up the whole building, the top part of the whole building. I look at those types of houses and I think to furnish that, to keep mm-hmm. it clean, there are rooms you would never even go in mm-hmm. for two people. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure because it's, we're going to see some spending starts happening and you have to have people to take care of it, shit to put in every room. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, maybe not the best use of your money. I don't know. Clean it. Just yeah. go in and like. open a door to air it out every now and then. You'd have to. But they ended up in New York. So Aldo was all about expanding the business. And Rodolfo was kind of more closely held. We just need to make it work here. And Aldo's like, I'm going to go to New York. I'm going to open a store. And this Guccio was still alive for a time when they went to open the New York store. And so Grandpa is still alive. And he's like, don't do it. It's a bad idea. Well, of course, it opens. It's a huge hit. And then Grandpa's telling everybody, you know, it was my idea to open that Mm. store. I'm really proud of myself and my sons. And there was three sons. One of them never had kids. So when he passed away, they bought it out. So then it becomes these two brothers. And they're kind of because they have different visions and they both are 50-50 and both hard-headed, they each have their own ideas of how to run stuff. And when you go, fuck you for marrying her, the other uncle's like, oh, come on over to New York. We would mm-hmm. love to have you. Kind of as a slight to his brother almost. Yeah, and pitting also the his family three kids against were, each other. His three kids were, uh, they all were very hard-headed as well. One of which is, only one of them is portrayed in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paolo, played by Jared Leto. And apparently in the movie, he is made out to be kind of this um, uh, not a very fashionable person. He's wearing a fat suit in the movie. He's kind of a, uh, yeah, he's kind of like a bumbling um, idiot. But in reality, he was very stylish and fashionable from Mm -hmm. the pictures that he takes with them and and not really like that. So I think that is one of the creative liberties that have been taken that the family is not too pleased with. Well, yeah, and I've seen Paolo in interviews and also his whole thing was that he wanted to have his own brand. Mm -hmm. He wanted to have a younger brand that was, you know, which is genius. Now when you think about it, a lot of these ideas that some of the other family members had that got shat on by the older generation were actually was a really good Mm -hmm. idea. Um, He was like, it's not quite Gucci. It would be like a sub-brand 
genius. They told him, no, shut up. Um, and so, but he he was actually like a good designer. He wanted the family to recognize him, but it was kind of like, ah, shut up, little brother. Like, we're not mm-hmm. here to listen to you. Maurizio and Patrizia started out as most couples do, madly in love. They enjoyed their elite position in New York City's social scene, palling around with the likes of the Kennedys and attending all the highest society events. The pair split their time between New York and Italy, and various luxurious vacations. They owned houses in several hotspots, a 214-foot wooden yacht, and untold luxury cars with license plates that read, Maurizia, their celebrity couple name. Out that on is the a town. good celebrity couple name because their names are almost the same name. Is so just go ahead and combine them. Crommy? Um, ours is... Or Tristy. Um, <laughs> we don't have a good one. When we were getting married, everyone was trying to think of one for our hashtag, mm-hmm. and one I did not love was um, Brawless, Brown and Wallace, <laughs> which I did not love, so I shot that down pretty quickly. Um, but yeah, I guess uh, to Misty, Grommy, neither Crummy. one of those sound real good. Grommy sounds like Kami. So that's not great. Or I, yours would be um Just Harris. Harris? Yeah. There you go. It's regular. Or um Pether. Pether. <laughs> it's not a celebrity name. This is going bad. Harris, Harris is Harris is an actual name. This so is that a doesn't good name. sound bad. Solid yeah. name. You could name your child Harris. That's kind of cool. That's true. I was like, or instead of Anybody changing their last name, we both change our last names to Harris, but then Paris's name would be Paris Harris, and that's a terrible <laughs> idea. So please Or ignore. your name is Heather Pether. Heather Pether and Harris <laughs> Paris Harris. That's what you do. You each change your last name to be a combination. And Everybody. then you're Heather Pether and Paris Harris. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> then you gotta open some kind of like um law firm. Or an emporium of some yeah. kind. I feel like those names <laughs> <Yeah>. together. <laughs> In 1976, at a health spa on the Italian island of Ischia, Patrizia met Pina Ariema, a woman who she would later describe as... A dear friend. Who? Destroyed all my problems with a sense of humor. Pina became a confidant and advisor to the Guccis, using her psychic abilities and proficiencies with tarot to help them make major decisions. That same year, Patrizia gave birth to the couple's first daughter, Alessandra. A second daughter, Allegra, was born in 1981. It was after the birth of his granddaughters that Rodolfo Gucci made amends with his son shortly before his death in 1983. Yeah, Maurizio was real into, as we say, woo-woo kind of stuff, witchy stuff. They said he had, you know, talismans in his office and used her for advice. Mm -hmm. Tarot. If you, uh, whatever, whatever helps you. Helps you make good decisions. Pray, meditate, use a tarot reader. Yeah, I guess uh, in hindsight, he he should she should have saw that coming, or maybe she did and just didn't uh, let him in on it. <laughs> I think we see she probably saw it way down the line, uh, and yeah, I think when we see how all the advice on the running the business goes, uh, just get maybe get an MBA next time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't don't go the um, tarot route because the thing with psychics is. They can see stuff you can't, and they can choose what they want to share with you. Also that. With Maurizio in New York learning the family business from his uncle, 
Aldo needed to make peace with his own three sons. In a showing of faith, he diluted his ownership, giving 3.3% of his shares to each of them. This left Aldo owning just 40%, while his brother, Rodolfo, owned 50%. When Rodolfo died in 1983, that majority interest passed to Rodolfo's only son. Suddenly, Maurizio was no longer his Uncle Aldo's protege. Instead, he was majority shareholder in the entire family business. Oh, Aldo, no. (sighs) No, buddy. I mean, I guess if you've got your three sons being like, uh, Papa, what about us? Why'd you bring uh, cousin Maurizio in when you got three kids right here? He had to do something to smooth things over. Yeah, but maybe work something out with Rodolfo. I don't know, because at this point, Aldo was the head man, uh, like head in charge, made all the day-to-day decisions, ran the thing, was nobody could question him. And Mm -hmm. then, so then if you're 40% and your brother who lets you run things is 50%, that's no big deal. But when your nephew, who's like, I have some, I have some comments, mm-hmm. is suddenly, mm-mm. this is why a ton of a ton of thought has to go into familial estate planning when you have a closely held business because you can you really got to plan stuff. And I don't mean like Rodolfo personally estate planning to Maurizio, like Rodolfo and Aldo as 50-50 owners should have had some sort of internal documents mm-hmm. that would say, yeah, this is how it's going to go. It doesn't just revert to him because that is. I mean, as we see for dear Aldo, it does not go well. This has got big succession vibes. Oh, yeah. After his father's death, Patrizia claimed Maurizio stopped taking her advice on matters of family business. Maurizio got crazy. Until then, I was his chief advisor about all Gucci matters. But he wanted to be the best, and he stopped listening to me. According to All That's Interesting, as the couple began fighting more and more often, things began unraveling in the house of Gucci. Additionally, now that Maurizio was the majority stakeholder in the family business, he was spending less and less time at home. Eventually, in 1985, no longer able to handle the external and internal stressors of their marriage, Maurizio packed a bag and headed to Florence, telling Patrizia he was going away for business. Later that day, during a visit from a mutual friend, Patrizia learned the truth about her husband's departure. Her marriage was over. Maurizio had left her for good. Even though she lost her husband, Patrizia was determined not to let go of the Gucci name. They lived separate lives while Maurizio tried desperately to save his family's business, which was bleeding money at this point. And Maurizio was busy with the business, but he was also busy having an affair or two. Yeah, he was busy spending a lot of money and jet-setting around the world and Mm -hmm. living his life. Getting on boats with uh, hot models and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And I think one of them was interviewed and said, you know, he told me he really loved his kids, but he was really miserable in his marriage and he was stressed about his business. And I told him, you know, you should just leave. And then she felt guilty later because the divorce, you know, was so contentious. contentious and uh, but OK, as bad of a time that you're having, buddy, he just said, I'm going to business. I'm going away for business. Be right back. And then you call your friend and go. You need to go up there and tell man, her. Man, that's that's a ride-or-die friend that's like, yeah, I'll do it, man. <laughs> I'll go break the news to her. She's not going to be happy. Knowing what a temper she has. Also that. I would not want to be the bearer of that news. No. Uh, and, yeah, she, I think the guy called her and said, hey, can I come over? And she's like, oh, sure. He just left for business. And then he comes over and is like, I have some news. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. 
It's one thing to go out for smokes and not come back. When you're like, I'm going out for a business trip. It's a good way to get your bag packed, though. Because <laughs> if you pack a bag, you go get smokes. That's true. You get all your stuff out. Suspicious. In an attempt to reclaim the fashion house's former glory and once great name, Rizzio ended Gucci's licensing agreements with other companies that had diluted the brand around the world. Increasing exclusivity came at a price. According to People magazine, these agreements had brought in tens of millions of dollars of revenue per year. And some of the estimates, because it was a private company at this point, were that it was around $50 million a year, which is great. Money that you don't have to really earn. You just say, yes, you can slap the G on something and give us the money for it. But it, it does make it less valuable. Oh, yeah. They said it was on ridiculous things. People want things that are exclusive, especially the rich and powerful. And if just anybody can get it, then it's not exciting. Yeah, and it was something like even down to plastic toilet brushes. Like, it it was oh, bad. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, it was bad. It was down low. So it's one thing to be like, we're only going to do luggage now on. But it was, they're like, we're anything. Stick it All on whatever. goods. Yeah. <laughs> Owning 50% of the business wasn't enough for Maurizio. He wanted to be in complete control. In the summer of 1989, after years of fighting, Maurizio plotted with an outside investment company to seize control over the company and rid himself of his family members for good. The plan was successful, with his cousin selling out first. Knowing he was outnumbered, Aldo relented and sold his shares to InvestCorp as well, the same investment fund that owns luxury brand Tiffany & Co., for $135 million, putting the third-generation Gucci solely in power of the family's famous brand. And Maurizio and Paolo worked together to try to oust Aldo initially because Maurizio basically told Paolo, hey, if you want to start your own brand, I'll buy you out. You'll have this money. You, you'll be good. And then when that all didn't work, then Maurizio just bought them all out and kind of worked with his financial planner is in, in interviewed in the People magazine presents Killing Gucci. And he said he helped him because they knew if the end result was having Maurizio in charge that Aldo and the cousins would never have sold. So he just had to say, oh, I don't know who's buying the shares. I don't know. Uh, but really, at the end of the day, he knew exactly who he was getting into business with and they wanted to leave him in charge. Didn't Patrizia encourage that? Because it was all a scam. They were like, oh, yeah, you can have your own line. It'll be it'll be great. But really, it was just a way to get him to sell his shares. Yeah. And then he ended up he didn't want to sell them to Maurizio. Then he did. And then the, then Aldo goes to jail for <laughs> because they ratted him out for tax evasion. Mm -hmm. um, so everybody was just kind of, I think, taking jabs at each other. And then it's mm -hmm. like death by a thousand cuts where you've now weakened everybody in the family. And so it starts to just collapse on itself. Um, but it did not turn out well for Paolo because I believe all the money he got, he ended up blowing, never really started a company, ended up bankrupt. Um, so it's almost like, don't what, don't they, I think that's that was in, I can't remember if that was in the book or in one of the documentaries where they said the first generation creates the business, the second generation runs the business, and the third generation destroys the business. <laughs> well, And that's what happened. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Aldo, however, believed the documents assigning the shares to Maurizio had not actually been signed by Rodolfo, but rather that his signature had been forged by his nephew. Fearing he would be arrested for these accusations, Maurizio fled to his chalet in Switzerland. He was eventually charged with the crime, but then later acquitted. There's yeah. so much going on. <laughs> Tax evasion, forgery. Then it came out later that uh, was... Largely implied that Patrizia had actually forged the documents. So who knows? It's <laughs> like mean, a who's on first situation. She would, though. <laughs> oh, I'm yeah. Just, I mean, 
she or, seems or uh, Maurizio would at her behest. Also, maybe that. You know? Yeah, I mean, he he was acquitted, so he was never convicted of that forgery. But I mean, I imagine if you're Aldo and that much money is at stake, you have to you you push every button you can you're to try to get that back. It's not a great look to flee to your Swiss chalet when charges are about to come down. I mean, that kind of. Uh, implicates that you know something about it. Where else do you flee to? That's the nicest place you can flee it's to. It's neutral. It's very neutral, and you can ski while you're there. <laughs> For the next five years, under Maurizio's leadership, the company floundered in the red. Finally, in 1993, Maurizio caved and sold his remaining shares to the investment fund for $170 million. Patrizia told The Guardian, I was angry with Maurizio about many, many things at that time, but above all, this. Losing the family business. It was stupid. It was a failure. I was filled with rage, but there was nothing I could do. He shouldn't have done that to me. Girl. To me? That's, this ain't about you. This ain't about you. (laughs) She, um, she does not come off great in interviews, and I was watching another set of interviews with her yesterday, and Paris goes, she seems like kind of a jerk. She kind of does. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, She's she is who she is. She's got the attitude that she's got, but she she just comes off as kind of brash and a lot of well, it's about me. This is actually yeah. this is about very me. very uh, but egocentric. Yeah. Her friend said that she wasn't even that mad about losing her husband. She was mad that she was going to lose the Gucci name. Yeah, she wanted to be La Signora Gucci no mm-hmm. matter what. And uh, but yeah, Maurizio is not great at business. Um, he in mm-hmm. addition to cutting off all the. Licensing agreements, he also spent tons of money on office space, uh, decking it out, making it super fancy, and just all these expenditures that uh, were, you don't really want to make a large expenditure when you're also bleeding revenue. That's just kind of, again, maybe don't ask, don't ask your friend that you met at a spa. Yeah, but I think that's business 101. (laughs) Don't spend more than you make. Just good good advice, buddy. Mm -hmm. But he was, uh, you know, he had his own way of doing things. After the final sale of the business, Maurizio began to enjoy life once again. With an overflowing bank account, he began dating Paola Franchi, a gorgeous, tall, blonde socialite from a wealthy background. The pair had been childhood friends, and Paola had even attended Maurizio's wedding to Patrizia in 1972. They reconnected after both of their marriages had failed. Oh, yeah, Paola was like a uh, tall drink of water. She was uh, gorgeous. I don't think that they reconnected. After their marriages had failed. I mean, their marriages may have failed, but they were still married. Yeah, I was going to say, define marriage failed. That's not the same as divorce was finalized. Correct. They definitely reconnected when they had been separated from their spouses, maybe. Or perhaps even before. Yes. Mm -hmm. Maurizio bought an apartment for them to share on an elite street in Milan. As things grew serious with Paola, Patrizia grew more and more jealous. Still attending the fancy parties of the high society scene. She could be heard asking anyone who would listen. Which one of you is going to kill Maurizio for me? Bold. <laughs> She's like, you? Fuck. What about you? Which one of you is going to do this? Uh, it's ding, ding, ding. I have an announcement. <laughs> I'd like to make a toast. It is which one of you is going to kill my estranged husband? She's like, I have a business venture um, taking applicants now. Turns out it's murder for hire. Yeah, mm. she uh, she was bold. She was very pissed about this because the idea is that she's forever Lady Gucci, but Mm -hmm. now there's another woman on his arm. She's not that no more. Indeed. Patrizia was not shy about her desire to have her husband killed. 
On more than one occasion, she asked her housekeeper if her boyfriend would do the deed. She also told the caretaker of their chalet in Switzerland to put several tanks of gasoline near the house and, I'd take care of the rest, according to Town & Country. Even on her daughter's 18th birthday, Patrizia could not momentarily put aside her quest to murder her estranged husband. While celebrating Alessandra at the extravagant party, Patrizia inquired to her divorce lawyer about having the father of her children killed. At her birthday. Why is your divorce lawyer at your kid's birthday party <laughs> in the first place? Probably because she had some questions. Kill two birds with one stone. After he left to Florence, that they didn't talk to each other. They only talked through lawyers. Well, which, then you got to have them around all the time in case yeah. there's, you know, that's just sufficient. You're yeah. like, well, I, if you're just around all the time, I don't need to like relay anything. You can yeah. just see it firsthand. And then you can share it. Also, it's like shunning, unshun. Chrissy, please tell Paris that, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, it's like, please pass mm -hmm. the message. It's like, I'm right here. I can hear you. But also for those lawyers, ain't an hourly rate high enough to deal with those Ooh. folks hating each other and it's exhausting. It oh my exhausting. gosh. You never have a moment's peace. And then you're just trying to enjoy this lavish birthday party and she's like, so what would happen? Hypothetically. Not even hypothetically. She's probably like, I want to kill Maurizio. Tell you're me like, what I'm looking at if I get caught. <laughs> trying to eat your cake like, oh no, please don't say things like that to me. But he can't say anything, right? No, I mean, no. Not unless there she said, go. I'm taking... Con I mean, I don't know the rules in Italy, but here, if you say, I'm going to kill him tonight, I am actually going to walk over there um, when he's finished with that drink and shoot him in the face, then you say, okay, I can break attorney-client privilege because there's an imminent threat of harm. Mm. Um, but if she's like, I'm going to kill him someday, that's not enough to Damn. Break. What's... Yeah, I guess that brings up the question of definition of imminent. Yeah, they... It's... they. That's a whole thing they take you through in professional responsibility because there was a case where I think it was... Like tomorrow, I'm gonna do this, and they didn't break, and you should have. If I'm not, mm. if I'm recalling correctly, like they said, oh, well, it didn't seem imminent to me because they said they were gonna do it tomorrow. It's like just take the hit from the ethics committee and just save somebody's life. Like, yeah, <laughs> tomorrow seems imminent to me. Yeah, I think so. That's to, that's yeah. Tomorrow is if I knew tomorrow I was gonna die. To me, that's imminent. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> it seemed everyone in Patrizia's inner circle knew of her plan to have Maurizio murdered including the target himself. After Patrizia underwent surgery to have a brain tumor removed in 1992, she recorded a heated message for her ex after he didn't visit her in the hospital. She then hand-delivered the cassette tape to him, according to Town & Country. In part, the message said, Maurizio, I'm not going to give you a minute apiece. You're a painful appendage that we all want to forget. The inferno for you is yet to come. In her journal writings, she doubled down on her feelings, reassuring herself vendetta is not just for the downtrodden but also for the angels get your revenge because you are right this <laughs> woman don't be journaling this by the way first of all write it and regret it yep uh we all we all if you got your lawyer on retainer 24 7 somebody should have told you that one but Perhaps you're like, it doesn't matter. I'll. She seems like she doesn't think she'll ever be beat. So I don't no. think she does. She's not. She doesn't strike me as a person that thinks the rules apply to her. Correct. Yeah. No, I think she's on top of the world. She thinks mm -hmm. that she's on top of the world and untouchable and that the divorce, he'll never divorce her for whatever reason. I don't. And then even after he divorced her, that he would never get rid of her. And so I think it was. A little bit more self-importance than was, re you know, true, than was real. Yeah. I mean, she was there 
it during the marriage when he was coming up in the business and was like she said her you know his kind of um advisor and stuff so i'm sure you feel like you are deserved of mm-hmm. um a portion of that in the in the name and stuff but she was definitely um i think she thought she was more important to the business than than she really was uh, and she may have been so important to the business because as soon as he took over and stopped listening to her, the shit went down the toilet. That's true. So, maybe she was the one keeping it all together. Yeah, maybe he should have listened. I don't know. But she definitely was bold. Because, you know, we usually say, say it and forget it. Right? And regret it. But she said it to so many, so That's many true. people. Yeah. So she was. <laughs> she had zero regrets. There's lined up witnesses. So <laughs> don't, don't do either Mm-mm. in this case. By 1994... The Gucci's were finally divorced. Patrizia still refused to give up the name, though their divorce settlement barred her from continuing to use it. She told La Repubblica at the time, They need me. I still feel like a Gucci. In fact, the most Gucci of them all. The settlement also came with a hefty sum of alimony, $1.47 million per year. Still, seeing Maurizio happy with Paola and fearing they may have a child together, Patrizia was driven wild with jealousy. She also had a financial interest in their relationship. If Maurizio got married to Paola, his alimony to Patrizia would be cut in half, down to a mere $860,000 per year, an amount she equated to... A bowl of lentils. According to the Daily Beast. My goodness. You know, sometimes we all need to be reminded of where we came from. (laughs) Is it... Oh, is it Shaq? There's someone, some really famous NFL or or NBA player, I remember seeing it on Cribs, that outside of his gorgeous bedroom and his huge mansion, he has a framed picture of the very humble house he grew up in that was, you know, based kind of like um, just a, a rundown home. And he's like, this is so I never forget where I came from. Yeah, I think that's a good perspective to have and keep in Mm -hmm. mind. And the general counsel of AT&T went to SMU. And when he spoke to us, he talked about how the top of his office is in the top floors of the AT&T building. And that from where he's at, he can see Pleasant Grove. And he grew up in Pleasant Grove, which is an older neighborhood in Dallas Mm -hmm. and a really small frame house. And he's like, it helps me every day to look out my window and be like, you're up here now. But you were not born up here. You know, you made your way up here through, you know, everything. So I think saying $860,000, that's a lot of lentils. That's a I big bowl. I would love to eat that bowl of lentils. I'd happily a eat, eat a far smaller bowl of lentils. Yeah. On March 27th, 1995, at 8.30 a.m., Maurizio Gucci walked up the red granite steps to the building of his private office via Palestro 20 in Milan. Giuseppe Onorato, the building's doorman, who was outside sweeping up leaves, later described the day. It was a lovely spring morning, very quiet. Giuseppe had noticed a suspicious character standing nearby for a few moments before Maurizio had arrived. Suddenly, that suspicious character was on the building's steps. Giuseppe told the guardian, Mr. Gucci arrived carrying some magazines and said good morning. Then I saw a hand. It was a beautiful, clean hand, and it was pointing a gun. The hitman's gun was outfitted with a silencer. He shot Maurizio three times, causing him to collapse on the ground. The man then walked up and shot Maurizio in the temple with no hesitation. Giuseppe later said, I thought it was a joke. Then the shooter saw me. He lifted the gun again and fired two more times. 
What a shame, I thought. This is how I die. Giuseppe was shot in the arm and luckily survived. The hitman jumped into a waiting getaway car and sped away. When authorities arrived shortly thereafter, Giuseppe was able to describe the tragic events. Maurizio was pronounced dead at the scene. He was 46 years old. They said he was a man of habit. He was always there between 8 and 8.30. Mm -hmm. Walked to work from the nice apartment up the street. Super nice to the doorman. The doorman said hi to him every day. The doorman, they said at the time there had been some uh, mafia-related bombings and incidents around Milan and neighboring cities. And so the he the doorman said, I felt like I was the eyes and ears on the ground. And so he took note of the guy and he said, I noticed that he was checking his watch. He was looking up and down the street. Then I thought, okay, well, maybe he's just waiting for someone, but I'll keep my eye on him. But, of course, when you say, you don't think, oh, when Gucci arrives, then he's going to strike. You're like, oh, he must be waiting for a friend. I'm going to keep sweeping my leaves. His gut, though, told him something <laughs> was wrong. My question is, what was Maurizio's job? He had a bunch of investments. He had okay, got himself an office. Yeah, he had the the money. He was able to manage to keep some of the money. He paid off. I think he had like $40 million in debt. And then when he sold out the rest of his shares, he kept the remainder and had some real estate investments and just various uh, business dealings. So he would just go into to an office. I mean, I guess when you're that rich, you want an office space just to go and sit and yeah. do office things. I'm doing business things. <laughs> exactly. Police dug through business dealings, personal dealings, and family records. Even with a handful of possible suspects, including Patrizia, there was no hard evidence leading them to a killer. For nearly two years, Maurizio's murder remained unsolved. And there's also, like, because of the hitman nature of it, they thought, well, did he have some kind of mafia dealings? Yeah, or? like, oh, it's probably just somebody that he fucked over coming back to get their revenge because he had... I mean, they were a huge name in mm -hmm. Italy, all over the world, and had some shady business dealings at mm -hmm. times. In January of 1997, police got a break in the case. A tip came in that a hotel porter, Ivano Savioni, had confessed to setting up the crime with the Gucci's longtime friend and psychic confidant, Pina Ariema. After police sent an undercover officer to interview Savioni and tape the incriminating conversation, all the participants were arrested on January 31st, 1997. And she rolled up. Patrizia said, I'll come with you. Hang on a second. I need to go get my fur coat. Yes. And jewels and sunglasses. Mm -hmm. I mean, how else are you going to arrive at prison if not decked out in your most lavish and expensive Gucci clothes. Yeah. And she said, I don't go anywhere without my fur. So I'm going to put my fur on. Sadly, I believe, if not both daughters, at least one daughter was home at the time and asked Notorino, who was the prosecutor in Italy. The prosecutor is also the lead detective. They kind of mm -hmm. do double duty. Um, and he said, I mean, I think so. That's why we're arresting her. So that's kind of crushing for the yeah. daughters that you lost your dad and then to find out it was your mom that did it. But then also she wrote in her diary the Greek word for paradise on the day that he died. Yeah. So... Yet again. <laughs> Knowing it was going to happen. Yeah. yeah. Right. That's just. To have that kind of hatred in your heart for someone mm -hmm. who in reality didn't do anything that devastating. And at the very least gave you your kids. Yeah. You know, gave you the life that you have now. I mean, that we know of didn't do anything to engender this kind of hatred. Mm hmm. When Patrizia was arrested, the media began calling her Vadova Nera, the Black Widow, 
She showed up to the trial most days, dressed head to toe in Gucci products. For a while, she didn't come at all. And then after, so I think in the preliminaries, she did not come. But then when she started coming, I think when you kind of realize the cameras are around and... She anadelvied it. You know, you got to dress up every day. If you got to be there, you're going to... Show up uh, dressed to the nines. There's a Shonda Rhimes Anna Delvey show yeah. is about to come out on Netflix. I'm excited to watch that. Prosecutor Carlo Nocerino laid out the case to the jury. Patrizia had plotted Maurizio's murder with Pina. Pina's lover, hotel porter Ivano Savioni, found a hitman, Benedetto Cerullo, a pizzeria owner who had amassed a significant gambling debt, had agreed to accept $300,000 to kill Maurizio. The group then enlisted the help of a getaway driver, Orazio Chicala. Afraid that Patrizia would try and pin the whole thing on her, Pina confessed. Her boyfriend and the getaway driver soon came clean also. Despite these confessions, the hitman and Patrizia both maintained that they were innocent throughout the trial. Patrizia claimed that she didn't even learn about the plot to murder her ex-husband until after the crime had occurred. Yeah, it was pretty much, uh, they, they squealed right away. I mean, everyone and their dog knows that she's been running around town asking for it to happen. It's, I mean, she leaned in, even yeah. though there's a thousand people. They're like, oh, yeah, she asked me. She asked me, too. She asked you. Oh, she asked me. She's like, I didn't know anything about it. Well, they at least at trial, her defense attorneys brought her on the stand and said, how many times did you ask people to kill your husband? And she said, like, a thousand. She said so many times. But she said, I did it as a joke. I never yeah. meant it. I was um, just or I was incensed. Just I was angry. Yeah, it was all yeah. just, uh, it, was, it was for show. Well, at some point, <laughs> somebody's going to take you seriously, even if maybe you don't, you're not serious. If you know somebody's rich as hell... You're like, I heard you've been asking around about this, but the reality is she straight up planned the whole thing yeah. and gave pe- lots of people lots of money to do it. As suspected, Patrizia's attorneys tried to pin it all on Pina, claiming that she had orchestrated Mauricio's murder without Patrizia's involvement. The motive was blackmail. Pina ordered the hit so she could extract money from the former Mrs. Gucci under the threat of framing her. The jury did not buy the story, and all five defendants were convicted. Patrizia and the getaway driver were each sentenced to 29 years. Pina was given 25 years. Savioni was given 26. And Benedetto, the one who pulled the trigger, was sentenced to life in prison. Yeah, they uh, they, they try to say, you know how often she said, would someone kill my husband? Pina knew that she said that. And so she thought it was the perfect way to frame her. So again, they're pulling, they're really trying to twist the evidence in Patrizia's favor, which is obviously what a defense attorney is supposed to do. But they said and in Italy, the judge can ask questions as well. And the judge mm-hmm. is also part of the jury. And they said the judge was not buying that, that they had all these bank records and financial statements that showed she had sent money to Pina or sent money. And it all totaled the amount that they had said. Plus, they had recordings of Pina and the gentleman talking about, OK, well, when is she going to pay us? She owes us another final payment that they had bugged their car. So they didn't even know. It wasn't like they came to the police station and said, hey, we want to tell you this story. The cops had bugged their car and heard them thinking nobody was listening, saying... They weren't the smartest. Yeah. Well, I mean, but at least they thought nobody was listening, so you know they were being honest, going, you know, Patrizia owes us more money. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like, okay, well, let's... Oh, the cops are listening, so let's all... You know, they didn't know they were being uh, investigated. So there was just clearly sufficient evidence to convict her, although, you know, to the end, she said, no, I didn't do this. It's interesting 
I guess the getaway driver got more because he was there at the scene. And then Probably. she got more because she's the wife. Well, she's the one that orchestrated yeah. it. Yeah. But then Pina and Savioni were almost given the same amount as her. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think when you look at a murder for hire, I think obviously the trigger man is going to be the highest because sure. he, he did it. He did it. And then the planner would be the next one. And I think you're right because the getaway driver was at the scene. He would get more. Mm-hmm. I wonder if because Savioni worked as the kind of go between between Pina and the killers, the killer that that's why he got an extra year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also there, there were some question. Benedetto Cerullo said, listen, I did not pull the trigger. I never did this. In Italy, they make violent offenders accused of violent crimes at the time, at least stand in a cage. We had to do the trial in a cage. Uh, wow. You look pretty guilty when you talk about, you know, yeah. putting, giving someone the, the best possible um, chance at a fair trial. I think yeah. sticking someone in a cage like a zoo animal is probably not great. But that he had this kind of icy stare and would just lean over and lean on the gate fence that he was behind too casual and, and was just like I didn't do it I didn't do it but that he Nocherino said uh, the prosecutor detective said this was like the cast of a movie that he said these mm-hmm. these four and Patrizia looked like they which that's what it turned into but he said it's like a, a comedy film where everybody has this personality and then they all come together and it's like like you said they're not really the smartest because one told somebody else in the he just there's too many out. people involved. Yeah. You can't have five people involved when you're trying to plan to kill somebody. Because then somebody's going to squeal like they did, uh, just mm-hmm. bragging in a bar, which that has been the downfall of many a, a case that's so many. unsolved. Or but bragging then, like, in prison or something, yeah. Well, and then they squeal on each other because you mm-hmm. start to say, well, Patrizia's going to pin it on you. She's like, pin it on me? Oh, hell no. I'm going to tell you everything. Here are the receipts. And so then it just collapses. Mm-hmm. Patrizia was remanded to Milan's San Vittori prison to begin her 29-year sentence. She refused to label herself as a prisoner and described her incarceration as her stay at Vittori residence. She explained her time in jail to the Guardian, saying, I slept a lot. I took care of my plants. I looked after Bambi, my pet ferret. Her lawyers had negotiated to have Bambi stay in the cell, Patrizia shared with two or three other inmates. Sadly, Bambi died when another inmate sat on her. Pina was jailed in the same facility as Patrizia for 15 years of their sentence. In a later interview with People magazine, Patrizia said with a roll of her eyes, That was fun. Awkward. They said they really tried to stay uh, away from each other and avoid each other. Pina said, so there's an interview... It's called Lady Gucci or The Life of Lady Gucci. It's on Discovery Plus. And they interview Pina in that as well as Patrizia. And Pina said, the prison was divided. Half people were Ooh. team Pina. Half people were team Patrizia. Thought one did it or the other did it. Um, and But Patrizia straight up says in that interview, and what, I mean, taking it with a grain of salt, presuming it's true, she goes, oh, I got extremely preferential treatment in, in jail. I was treated very well. Like Pina my says lord. that? No, Patrizia said oh. that. Patrizia's like, I was treated very well. She got her own private garden area to go to that she would tend to. When she said, I took care of my plants. She had a ferret. They got her I've a- never heard of somebody being allowed to have a pet in prison well, unless it was she- just a rat that showed up one night. <laughs> I mean, Bambi, she needed Bambi. Bambi. R.I.P. How, man, 
I guess you just aren't looking where you're sitting. It's curled up sleeping. It's so sad. That's that's a horrible way to go. Yeah. And then uh, yeah. I I got a lot of questions about that, but yeah. The I'm whole jail situation it, it though. Go. It sounded like uh they really just kind of I won't say let her run amok, but I mean it, it, she was in jail. That sucks. In 2011, Patrizia was offered the chance to be released on parole. Shockingly, she turned the opportunity down. In order to qualify for the program, she would have had to get a job. She told the court, I've never worked in my life, and I don't intend to start now. Well, I guess if you've got a, your own garden and a ferret and nobody's messing with you, jail ain't that bad. If it's pretty cushy, you'd be like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm good. Thanks. Yeah. I, I can sleep and I don't have to work. Everything is paid for. I'll, I'll finish out my time here. Yeah, why rock the boat? Patrizia was finally released in October of 2016 after serving 18 years, having received time off for good behavior and a reduction in her sentence on appeal. Her first act was to go shopping in an exclusive area of Milan, decked out in giant sunglasses and designer jewelry. On her shoulders sat the ultimate accessory, a large blue and orange macaw. When asked by a journalist upon her release, Patrizia, why did you hire a hitman to kill Maurizio Gucci? Why didn't you shoot him yourself? She coolly answered, My eyesight is not so good. I didn't want to miss. So she didn't really deny it. She sort of stopped denying it. Yeah. I mean, she's done her time, so it's like, well, they can't convict me again. At this point, I'm just going to own it. Yeah. This is a... uh, Knowing that your two daughters are still around. Also that. That's the hard... That's the sad thing. I think the... the, Obviously, Maurizio's a victim, but her daughters, especially in this, Mm -hmm. was... This totally senseless, and you then don't really seem to have any remorse. No, she. I don't think she ever took into consideration, I will be leaving my daughters without a father. Mm-hmm. And our future grandchildren without a grandfather. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. it was just completely selfish and not considering the repercussions of anything yeah it was all uh, completely selfish i think is the exact you hit the nail on the head that she she always saw how does this affect me how does Mm -hmm. this impact me and i want him dead i don't care how it's gonna impact like i hate him more than i love my own kids which is very sad very very sad two years before he was murdered rizio signed an agreement in which he agreed to pay patrizia almost 1.5 million dollars per year every year until her death upon her release from jail she sued to enforce the agreement, receiving $26 million in back payments and nearly $1.5 million per year going forward. The money comes from Maurizio's estate, which is managed by their two daughters, Allegra and Alessandra. Understandably, the daughters remain estranged from their mother after she was convicted for having their father murdered. Yeah, I think that's rough that... I mean, technically, she's contractually uh, entitled to it, but now that is, I mean, it's more money than most people can spend in a lifetime, but that's money that you're sucking out of the estate that your daughter's inherited. And every year, the daughters are like, well, here's the money that we're giving to mom who killed our dad. Like, you just can't ever get away. It's constantly being thrust back into your face. Yeah, it's always going to remind you and remind Mm -hmm. you and remind you. House of Gucci, starring Lady Gaga as Patrizia Reggiani and Adam Driver as Maurizio Gucci, was released in theaters in November of 2021. 
Directed by Ridley Scott, the film is inspired by the book The House of Gucci, a sensational story of murder, madness, glamour, and greed by Sarah Gay Forden. While there are Oscar nomination rumors for Gaga and Jared Leto, who plays Paolo Gucci, Maurizio's cousin in the film, the real-life Gucci family have been very public about what they believe to be a false representation of their family. A spokesperson for the family issued a statement which read in part, Gucci is a family that lives honoring the work of its ancestors, whose memory does not deserve to be disturbed to stage a spectacle that is untrue and which does not do justice to its protagonist. The members of the Gucci family reserve the right to take action to protect the name, image, and dignity of themselves and their loved ones. Nothing has happened yet legal-wise. I mean, they're such public figures. I think they were pissed that um, Aldo, which is Al Pacino, portrays Uncle Aldo, was they didn't like how he was portrayed. I believe that they thought that it was pretty uh, sympathetic, sympathetic to Patricia mm-hmm. to Patricia that she was a you know a woman in a male dominated field and that it was a sexist company and they said in their statement that's not that's just patently false. We had many female executives. We respected, you know, everybody that worked here. Um they maybe Even just if that is like true, her. that's not a reason to kill someone. No, I don't yeah, I, I mean, don't she think she shouldn't that that... be justified for for killing someone. No, yeah, I think uh, she's uh, not a sympathetic character. You know, mm-hmm. because she has, if, like I said, if you watch more interviews with her after she got out of jail, she was real reticent to talk at first. And then, because there was an early interview right after she got out that was like, the first time she's talking, she spoke to The Guardian, and then she did a sit-down with people, and it was like, the only interview she'll agree to do. Well, now there's like five or six more. She, I mean, she just started she's going. She's getting the money. Yeah. And so uh, the more and more you hear from her, she's like, was really all about the money. Mm -hmm. Patrizia has also been vocal about her feelings toward the film, saying she was disappointed Lady Gaga didn't consult her on her portrayal of the role, but acknowledging that she does see the physical resemblance between the two. She had complaints about director Ridley Scott as well telling the Associated Press that he was stealing the identity of a family to make a profit. For his part, Scott isn't bothered, telling BBC Radio. You have to remember that one Gucci was murdered and another went to jail for tax evasion, so you can't be talking to me about making a profit. As soon as you do that, you become part of the public domain. How ironic that she is criticizing him for trying to make a profit off of the identity of a family. Yeah, that's pretty much what she did from day one. Sounds like it, yeah. Well, so what do we think? She she says this, and it's apparently not the first time she said it, but it's in the, the Killing Gucci, the People magazine special. She goes, oh, I would rather be crying in the back of a Rolls Royce than on a bicycle. You know, she's like, it's always better to be rich. It's uh, She she wanted the money. I mm-hmm. mean, she, and I think knowing that Paola and Maurizio were getting closer. Oh, by the way, the day that Maurizio was murdered, Patrizia rolled into the apartment that Paola shared with Maurizio and kicked her ass out mm-hmm. and, on the street. And, her, and the uh, Paola's son yes. that lived there, kicked too. Kicked them out on the street. So I think... Within three hours, I believe. Yes. It was like the news came. She said, oh, they told me he died, and I just... My world totally stopped, and I was totally horrified in this interview, you know, 30 years later. But at the time, oh, no. She's like, Mm-mm. get out. This is ours. This money is ours. Um so I don't think she's ever, like, hidden what her true... You know, I think they they may have truly been in love with each other early on, but when the gravy train was finna leave the station and mm-hmm. her 
alimony was about to get cut in half. And if there were other heirs, you know, if he had started having kids with Paula, yeah. then she was worried her daughters would get cut out. But she's the one that cut her daughters out of mm-hmm. everything. Yeah, the pie just started getting smaller for her. So I think that's when she started panicking the the closer that they got and everything. So, I mean, I I love Lady Gaga and I'm excited to see the film. Um, But I don't, um, and I get it, when you take artistic license, you know, you you don't want everybody to hate the lead character. But uh, if you've seen the movie, I would recommend going on Discovery Plus and watching some of those interviews with her. Just jump on YouTube and see if you can find some interviews with her because it's like, oh, she's not sympathetic at yeah, all. I'm she, interested to see the movie to see how sympathetic they do portray her. Mm-hmm. Because the greatest irony of it all is like she wanted him killed so her daughters didn't get cut out of what she thought was rightfully theirs when she took the father from to her her daughter's having money was more important than her daughter's having a father and her having money honestly yeah. i think i think the whole well there'll be more heirs well i think that is there's a smaller estate for me to also get mm-hmm. a piece of because she wanted her one and a half 1.47 million every year into something you married into yeah, yes you, you may have been it. a part of it and you know i don't know the laws of ownership and what you're entitled to there but I mean, regardless of what it is, this definitely comes down to greed and that she was just um, nothing was ever enough and she was going to do whatever she needed to do to to keep the lifestyle that she wanted. She didn't want to go back to what it was like when she was a little girl. Yeah, and I think you say, I clawed my way up here and I'll be goddamned if mm-hmm. somebody's going to take this from me. I don't even care if I get divorced. I, you know, I don't care what I am. I will. Uh, I'll kill for it. It's what happened. Yeah. Well, uh, when we watch the movie, maybe we'll do a watching party together, and then we can review it on Patreon. Yeah, we'll do a Patreon movie review. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, I'm very curious to see how all of these characters are portrayed and what um, what story they tell. Since we have now now kind of know more than we would have just having yeah. watched the movie, dive deep into it. Mm-hmm. Well, we have a couple of live shows. We were just saying that I uh, blew your mind by my obnoxious audiobook, leaving our other show we had at Dallas Comedy Club. Such a good show. So uh, much fun. So much fun. And we've got a couple more coming up for you on January 28th at 8 p.m. at Dallas Comedy Club in Deep Ellum. The Cult is reuniting you guys. The Cult is Christy, Tommy, myself, Jade Smith, Nick Scott, Raymond Fisher, one of the all-time great lineups. I have a great time with y'all. It's going to be a super fun show. Every time. It's great. So that's to be 8 p.m. January 28th. And then Hot Dish, which is what we just did on the 14th, where we have a mix them up with random players on February 25th. We're doing a double header that night. The Colt is coming on at 8. Then we're going to do a mix them up with Hot Dish at 9. So make a night of it. February 25th at Dallas Comedy Club. You can go to SinisterHood.com slash live shows. And I have included ticket links for your convenience. Well, how considerate of you. Yeah. And there, uh, DCC's got a banging patio. Oh, yeah. So, um, getting patio you know, weather. Hang, hang out before, hang out after. It's, uh, make a night of it. Like Heather said, it'll be super fun. We love providing Sinister to you at no cost, so if you like what you hear, consider supporting the show by donating to our Patreon. We're a small operation, creating this show for you by researching, writing, recording, and producing it ourselves. Any amount is sincerely appreciated and helps offset the cost of making and hosting the show. 
As a thank you, you also get some sweet perks like ad-free episodes, a Sinisterhood sticker, membership to our exclusive Patreon Facebook group, Enrolling the Airwaves and Getting Into It tier, special shout-out on the show, monthly bonus mini-sode, which we just did one on the Dallas Cephalopod Conspiracy, which is... Just as wild as it sounds. So, so fun. <laughs> and you get patron-exclusive audio and video content, including our new Wedit drama that we do. We just did a audio bonus, and um, on this, uh, it's going to be Thursday. So you're going to mm-hmm. hear this on Wednesday. So Thursday, January 20th, you're going to hear, we're going to do Wedit Drama Live. So it's a video live stream. Christy and I, I'm going to bring some dramatic wedding shaming. I have visual aids. I'm excited. It's going to be a time. <laughs> and the day this comes out, Wednesday... We will be having our live Q&A. Yes, our live Q&A on Crowdcast. And uh, you can ask us anything. If you happen to hear this after that, go back and watch the, the mm-hmm. replay. But uh, if you hear it beforehand, before 8 p.m. Central Time on Wednesday, January 19th, go jump on Patreon and uh, join in and send us some questions. We always so have much a hoot. Fun. It's a hoot and a holler. You also now have the fun perk of access to our Discord server, where you can connect with other fans in real time and discuss the latest in true crime, share personal ghost stories, or just post adorable pictures of your pets. We hop on occasionally, and like we just said, we host monthly Q&As on Crowdcast, where you can ask us all your burning questions. For patrons not in the U.S., you now have the option to pay in pounds or euros and save yourself the cost of the conversion fee. You can also get an annual membership for all tiers, and when you select this option, you get rewarded with a free month of membership. For more details on all of this and specific member tiers, visit SinisterHood.com and click Patreon on the top banner. And make sure you stick around after our sign-offs to hear your shout-out. So many of you have been tagging us in pictures of you sporting your sweet SinisterHood merch. Keep those pictures coming. And if you want to get some cool SinisterHood swag like t-shirts, mugs, totes, and even clothes for your kiddos, visit SinisterHood.com, click on Shop in the top banner. The best thing you can do to help us grow is like, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And please tell a friend who you think would like us to check us out. It means so much to us and really helps podcasts like us get more exposure. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sinisterhood Pod and like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood. Christy, where are you at on the computer? I am on Twitter at Christy or GTFO and on Instagram at Christy M. Wallace. Heather? I am on Twitter at MCK versus the world and on Instagram at Heather versus the world. As always, the devil rules the airwaves. Keep it creepy. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for supporting the show on Patreon. Here are your special Patreon shout outs. Maggie Murders. Stacey Shelton. Rachel Klein. Sarah Caldwell. Row, row. Renee Pfizer. Morgan Nelson. Amanda Chalquest. Victoria Tersini. Abby. Sam Bartholomew. Stephanie Parsons. Alex York. Lydia Ireland. Andrea Brown. Amanda Gomez. Jessica Morano. Alex Sardi. Lisa Adkins. Marcus Miller. Laura Ogley. Jessica Whitmer. Kate Schmidt. Talia Duarte. Elizabeth Party. Jillian McGovern. Kimberly Hoagland, Gina, Mary David, Mariah Stewart, Michelle Bowman, and Katie Cheese. Cheese. That uh. should be my last name. <laughs> I'm so hungry right now. <laughs> All I can think about is cheese and that boom, boom shrimp. Thank you guys so much for supporting the show. We sincerely appreciate it. We couldn't do this without you. We hope we got your names right. Stay safe, stay healthy, and keep it creepy. Bah.
Hello, this is our thank you corner. I just wanted to say thank you so much to Bad Penny Soapworks. I ordered the Loveland Frogman soap, which uh, if you go on Bad Penny, it even has a shout out to Sinisterhood in the description. I was just going to order it for Christy for her birthday. And I just got one bar of soap. And Bad Penny was so nice that uh, she sent over a box of all the various types, the Wear Flamingo. There's all kinds of cryptid flavors. Ella was a huge fan of all the names. <laughs> I knew the she Yeti. would love it. Yeah, there's there's some great ones. So yeah, so go to Bad Penny Soapworks and get you uh at, at the very least a Lovely and Frogman, but uh on top of that all the other cryptid ones which uh so your birthday gift was one fourth me and three fourths Bad Pennies. So. Well thank you, Bad Penny. I appreciate it. And I appreciate all the people that wished me a happy birthday and Simon a happy birthday. Mm-hmm. They um we've felt the love, so thank you all so so much. As always, the devil rules the airwaves. Keep it creepy. Say